is the Refinery Church Podcast. Each message is from our weekend service right here at our campus located in downtown Brea, California. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. Well, I had an incredible week this week, and I've got some things that I'm going to be sharing that are super practical. We've been in this series, but before we get into the series here tonight, um, I want to tell you, I had a, an opportunity that comes my way once in a while, but I never, ever, ever want to um, lose the value of what this means. Um, we have a preschool here at Refinery called Refinery Preschool, Monday through Friday. Uh, we have about 70-some children that attend here, uh, and that means we have mm, 40 families-ish that call Refinery Preschool their home, and they allow us to care for their children and, and pray with them and sing with them and see them develop and grow and become the person that God's created them to be. Well, I purpose to interact with every parent that I can during the week. When I'm here in the mornings, when I'm here in the afternoons, I try to say hi to a parent. We've had numerous preschool parents come to church here. Well, this last week, I got a a message that one of the parents, her brother was in, in the hospital. And her brother had been in the hospital for about a month. And just before he went into the hospital, he came here to Refinery Church when the preschool was having their musical. He didn't go to church. He says he's only been in church maybe a couple of times in his life. But he was in the hospital, and he was struggling with pancreatitis. And about a week ago, it was touch and go for him, whether he would live or not. And his name is Richard, and Richard came face-to-face with eternity. 38-year-old man came face-to-face with eternity. And his sister said, What can we do? And Richard said, I want to talk to that man, Kelly Fellows. Met me once during a Christmas program where I said, hi, I love your kids. He said, I want to talk to him. So I went to the hospital over at Kaiser and got to meet with him. He could barely talk. He had a tracheotomy, hose in his his throat. But I could understand a little bit about what he was saying. And through tears, he said, I almost died. And I want to get right in here. I want to be right in here. So I took that moment to get to share with him and share with him the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. The eternal hope that is found in Jesus Christ. I read to him a passage of scripture that is common for many Christians who know this scripture. Even non-Christians know it. And I read to him from the Bible, from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. That says, that God, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I looked into the eyes of Richard as his tears began to roll down his face. I said, Richard, do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to know and experience this eternal life? He shook his head, yes. And I got to pray with him, and I led him in a prayer. It was so beautiful because he goes, I don't know how to pray. You know, he barely speak. I said, well, I'll pray, and you can say the words right behind me. He goes, I can't talk. I go, oh, God can hear you. God can hear you. He prayed the prayer with, with me, and he said yes to Jesus, and his whole countenance changed. Took a deep breath. <sighs> and he knew that on the inside, everything was good. And then we paused, and I said, okay, now that we've taken care of the inside, let's pray that God takes care of the outside. And we prayed for his healing and his recovery and his restoration. So I want to invite you right now to join me and let's pray for Richard that God would heal his body. God has already saved his soul. Let's pray that his body is healed. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we lift up Richard who is there at Kaiser in in Anaheim. And we pray that his body would be a miraculous testimony of your healing power. Touch him, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Heal him and raise him out of that sick bed right now. Would you agree with me and pray that prayer? God, heal him in the name of Jesus, the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We pray this. Amen. 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 So I've had a good week. Let me just tell you, I've had a good week. That's a good week for me. I hope uh, you experience those same kind of life encounters as as well. I've got something very practical I'm going to be sharing tonight, and I'm glad you're here tonight. Uh, If you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, we're in this little series called But First. Everybody say, But First. We're starting to get our priorities right. I know it's kind of fun to say, but first, 
There's only one T, though, on that. So just so you know, it's just one T on that. But first, but first, we're starting the year by getting our priorities in alignment. It's very practical. We're saying let's get our priorities in proper alignment, and we're working to make what matters most matter most, right? Because we spend a lot of our time and spend a lot of our wheels on doing trivial stuff. And then what matters most is what Richard was experiencing there as he became, became face-to-face with eternity. He goes, I need to do what matters most. And that's why he called out to God. We talked about our most valuable assets. Two weeks ago, we talked about our most valuable assets. Time. Everybody say time. Time, the most valuable thing. You get, you get it once and you never get it again. And how to spend more time on things that truly matter. If you haven't listened to it yet, check out our podcast or go to our website, wearerefinery.com. You can listen to that message. It'll encourage you. Last week, we talked about the talents, those skills, abilities, and giftings that God gives us. God gives us to use on purpose and for a purpose, not just to be wasting. I made available a little gift assessment, uh, a sheet of paper. Matter of fact, Ken, would you grab one of those uh, spiritual gift assessments right there and hold it up? Look, Everybody look back there at Ken. Say, hi, Ken. If you didn't get one of those, feel free to pick one of those up. We've got a number of them available. He has one. I've got one right here. If you didn't see it, it looks like this. Pick up one of those. It's just a simple assessment to go, okay, what, what kind of spiritual gifts has God deposited into me that I can use for the things that matter most? All of these messages are based on this commandment from Jesus. Take a look at what Jesus says here. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 and 33, say this. Therefore, don't be anxious and say, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Verse 33, but first. Everybody say, but first. But first, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. But first, prioritizing what matters most. And if we'll live our lives doing what matters most, you're going to have a fulfilled life. No regrets. We've looked at, and take a look up here on the screen again. Oh, we went black. Take a look at this uh, little drop down here. Uh, We've looked at our time and our talents. The next slide, there it is. Uh, We've looked at our time priorities. Uh, Interact with me. Say time priorities. Time priorities. We've looked at our talent priorities. Say talent priorities. Today, we're focusing on our treasures, our stuff, our possessions, our finances. We're going to look at the talent priorities because all three of these things consume our daily lives, right? How are we going to spend our time? How are we going to use our talents? And how are we going to manage our treasures and our resources? How will they be spent? So we're going to look at how to manage them. How do we handle the things that God puts into our lives? Our treasures. Treasures. It's so important to talk about. It's so important to talk about how we're managing our stuff. Or is our stuff managing us? Do you know one of the most, the biggest, one of the biggest booming businesses, if you're looking to invest into a business, self-storage industry. It's huge because we got a lot of stuff in America. We got more stuff. We can't put all the stuff in our house. We got to rent a storage unit or two or three, get climate controlled because our stuff, we got to keep it over there. My wife and I were just watching this, uh, uh, saw a commercial where you can get this app now to manage your stuff that's in storage. Somebody will come in there, pack it up, label it, and if you want to visit your stuff, you go, okay, I want uh, box, uh, yeah, I want box three. And they'll come and deliver box three to you. You can look at your stuff. You can hold your stuff. You can hug your stuff. Put it back in the box, hit the, uh, the app, and they'll come and take your stuff back to storage. Isn't that crazy? Smart. Somebody's making some money on that one. Because of all of us crazy people who are into our stuff. It's so important to talk about that. Because our resources, our financial resources, were central to even Jesus Christ's teachings. Matter of fact, when you read in the Gospels, Jesus talks about the issue of finances more than he talks about faith and prayer combined. 11 of his 40 parables, one-fourth of his parables, over one-fourth of his parables, 
are dedicated to financial resources. So if it's important to Jesus, it's important to me. And I know it's important to you because, hey, we're consumed with it every single day. Every single day we're thinking about it. Why would Jesus spend so much time on this? Why would Jesus spend one-fourth of his teaching time talking about finances? It's because of this verse. Because of something he said. Take a look at this verse. He says this. Matter of fact, let's all read this together. Ready? Begin. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus knew what where we put value, our heart will go there. It reveals our heart condition. I'm not talking about the muscle in your chest that's pumping blood throughout your body. That's how my heart sounds. I've listened to it. It's a weird sound. I'm not talking about the muscle in your body that's pumping. I'm talking about your, 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 your being, the center of who you are. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And Jesus knows that there's a gravity to the treasure, and the gravity pulls our heart towards it. So where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? Most of us treasure the dollar. We'll spend 30, 40, 60 hours a week giving over our time so that we can get some dollars, right? So we can then pay our bills and do some things that we like to do. It's important to us. It is. Our hearts can be stressed out over it or joy-filled. Wait a minute. Stressed out or joy-filled. That's, that was the tone I was supposed to have. We get, we get stressed out over it because, oh my gosh, we're not going to have enough to pay the gas bill. Do we pay the gas bill this month or the electric bill? What's, is it going to be cold this week? Maybe we should pay the electric bill so we can keep the refrigerator on. I mean, that's real life for some people. We're hanging out with some friends of ours last night, and they were talking about their first two years of marriage. These are pastors. They're talking about their first two years of marriage. Man, they were so stinking poor that they had to choose between the electric bill and the gas bill. And the husband, not a good money manager, oh, wait, the wife, not a good money manager, forgot to pay the gas bill, and so they, the choice was made for them. There was no gas. It stresses us out, right? Or we get joy-filled when, man, that, 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 that sale came through. Yeah, oh, yeah. That client, oh, we got that client. Yeah, oh, and so we get this roller coaster ride. Our heart is on a roller coaster ride. No wonder people have heart conditions because we're on this roller coaster ride all the time. Marriage and family therapists will tell you arguments over finances are the number one reasons that marriages end up in divorce. That's how important this issue is. It's the number one reason marriages fail. So I would be remiss not to say, God, what do you have to say about it in Scripture? Because God has the best plan in his word. USA Today took a poll two years ago. Two-thirds of Americans worry about finances every single day. That means two out of three of us are worried. We're stressing out about finances every single day. That's why Jesus covered it then, and that's why when we're talking about the big three, time, talents, we got to talk about treasures. we got to talk about how are we managing our stuff, our possessions, our finances. And I'm not going to do this to you right now, but if I were to sit down with you, I'd say, so how's it going? How's it working for you? How are you feeling about your finances? Some of you feel good. Say, man, things are going good, so you're on that roller coaster high. Some of you go, ooh, not so good. Not so good. God wants you to experience abundance in your life. And in that area of finances and resources, he wants to see you thriving there too because he knows those things consume us. So that's why we're covering the topic. And tonight I want to do something very, very practical. I pray to the Lord saying, Lord, how do, we, how do we approach this? How does refinery need to hear about this? We got some young married people in here. We got some newly married. We got some single people. We got a diverse crowd at refinery. So Lord, how would you have me cover this? And I felt the Lord was leading me to hit on five principles we see in Scripture on how to manage those financial resources. So... Get out your notepads, get out your journals, get your notes out on your smartphone, open it up, get your camera ready, because I'm going to give you these five 
practices, and it's very practical. Are we okay being practical tonight? Can you guys handle a little practicality? How can we practically manage these resources according to God's scriptures and see that area thrive? Just like time, just like talents, are treasures as well. The title for tonight is, But First, Prioritizing My Treasures. Prioritizing My Treasures. And we're going to hit on the very, very first one tonight. Number one, how do you prioritize your treasures? It's going to seem obvious, but it might be hard. Take a look at number one on the screen. Keep good records. Keep good records of your stuff. Keep good records of your finances. I know this sounds elementary, but we get into a lot of trouble when we don't know what we have and we want to do something and we go, well, I don't know if I can. And then we go out there and then we do something even though we can't. And then they call the fire department on you. (laughs) Maybe it's the police. I don't know. We're going to learn some wisdom from the book of the Bible called Proverbs, the book of wisdom. Take a look at what it says in Proverbs 27, verse 23 through 24. It says, let's all read this together. Ready? Begin. Know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds, for riches don't last forever. Mm. The psalmist is saying, you better keep track of what you got. Now, here in Orange County, I doubt if any of you are managing flocks and herds. Any farmers in here? Any ranchers? Okay, if I was, now if I was in the middle of America, they might be going, that's right, Pastor Kelly. I got 300 head of the best longhorns you ever seen. They would relate to this and they go, yeah, that's right. But we don't. You know, most of us, de- I mean, we don't deal with flocks. Some of us deal with stocks, not flocks, you know. We don't deal with herds. We deal with cars, you know, and, and vehicles and, and other things that, that are material possessions. But the principle here is speaking to us saying, Know the state of your finances and understand by keeping good records. This is practical. Don't don't lose this. This is practical. Keep track of your stuff. Now, this might seem hard to some of you. It does me because I'm not a detail person by nature. I've learned to look for details because I married the detail queen 30 years ago extremely meticulous, very organized, and attention to detail. I'm thankful that I'm married to her because literally I will have something that I'm looking for and it's sitting on the counter. I'll walk into the room. I will look and I will scan the room and I'll go to her and say, Leah, I swear I can't find that whatever. She walks into the room. She picks it up. And says, I love you still, you know. She's very detailed. And thank God for her. Because when we first got married, I was doing the finances. Not a good idea for a person who's not detailed. Because I would get caught up in all sorts of, you know, things that we're doing. The activities of life. And a bill would come due. And, well, the bill might not get paid. Because I'm so busy living life and enjoying life. And after a couple of years of missing some payments, you know, and and not uh, actually recording some purchases and realizing, oh, we don't have $500 in the checking. We're minus $50 in the checking. How did that happen? Leah, what did you do? She took the checkbook. She took all that and said, I'm in charge. (laughs) Thank God she saved our marriage. Saved our finances, too. We learned early in our marriage that I'm not the detailed person. So after a couple of years, she took it over. And thank God for that because she keeps good records. She keeps good records. Uh, we have somebody here at our church called named Lisa Hillman. How many of you guys love Lisa? Come on. Thank God for Lisa because she has an office in the back of this church, and I gave her her own private office. 
because I'm like, I do not want to try to keep track of the details, Lisa. You're in charge. And thank God for her because she's made sure that every bill is paid here at Refinery and Refinery Preschool and all of our bills are paid. Isn't that right, Lisa? Amen. Thank God for someone who keeps good records, right? Give her a hand. Number one, keep good records of your finances. There are dozens of ways. There's lots of tools nowadays on ways to keep track of your finances, especially with the advancement of mobile devices. But here's some good advice that I was given. Do what fits you, okay? You might be a techie person, so you get all the greatest tech device apps and downloaded programs so that you can keep track. But maybe you're not techie. Maybe you're good at just having a book, a ledger, a good old-fashioned ledger, and keep track of it. Whatever works for you, do it. Everybody's going to have an idea on how you should do it. Find what works for you and keep track of it. Some of you are going to be very detailed. My father-in-law, Gil, of course, Leah's father, is also a man of detail. And, and, and when he was 50 years old, he decided he was going to move from a regular register paper register. He was going to download Quicken. He didn't even know how to say it. It's Quickie? Uh, uh, Quickie? He said, no, you don't want a Quickie. It's Quicken. Quicken for him. QuickBooks for business. So he downloaded it. And now, man, the man is detailed. And he even said, Kelly, I need a new computer, but I don't want to lose Quicken because I'm, I, I've got all the details in there. The man is detailed. That worked for him. He was 50 years old, and he downloaded it and started doing a new system. And it's been great for him, especially when tax time comes. He loves that. Others of you are going to have a drawer, right, with files in it and papers. And nobody can interpret it, but you can, right? You know what it means. Maybe it's a file system on your desk that you know if you lift over here and you push this and you kick it once, you'll find that receipt that you were looking for. Whatever works for you, keep good records. The point is, and I don't have the scripture on the screen for you, but let me read it to you. Proverbs 23, 23 says, get the facts at any price. It's worth it to know what's happening. It's worth it to know what's happening. Here, here's another bit of advice. Don't avoid it because... If we think, oh, I'm just not going to deal with it right now, it'll go away. It won't go away. <laughs> it just gets bigger and bigger. Don't avoid it. Don't ignore it. Here are four things that you want to record. You might want to take a picture of this. Take a look. Four, very simple. This is very simple. I know it's elementary, but it's so important. What I own, you want to, you want to know that. What I owe you want to know that what I earn, that's important to know too, and what I spend, what I spend. Record those four things, which leads us to number two. Here we go. Number two is this. Everybody say it together. Plan spending. Plan your spending. Say plan. Keyword there, action word, plan your spending. Don't just say, hey, look, we got a thousand bucks this month. Let's spend it. We got a thousand more than we had last month. Woohoo! Plan. It's worth it to know it. Let me read. We're, uh, we're warned in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 11 says, The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. <laughs> They're smart in Ecclesiastes, aren't they? Love that New Living Translation. The more you have, the more people will help you spend it. You know who those people are? <laughs> Buy this tonight, only $59.95. Yes, those people will help you spend your money. America's built on people coming after you to spend your money. Seems to be the American way. The more we make, the more we spend. Isn't that right? Statistics show that the average American spends 110 to 120% of their annual income. How does that happen? How can you spend 120%? And I know all of us in here are going, well, I know how I do it. Visa, MasterCard, American Express. It's true. It's true. That's why the, the average American is about $40,000 in credit card debt across the United States. It's going up and up and up and up and up. It doesn't take a genius to figure out, continue to live that way, 
you're going to be buried soon. And maybe you have been buried. Maybe you are in the middle of being buried and you need help out. We're going to pray for you tonight and pray for you that you can be debt free. God gives us some advice in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. Take a look. It says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Yeah, I remember when I bought those real estate books when I was 18 years old for $500. They're in my storage unit that I'm paying every month for. They did me no good because I was going to get rich quick. It's going to learn how to flip houses. And some of you might be knowing how to do that. Praise God for you. I just spent $500 on books that are sitting in a storage unit. By having a plan, listen, by having a plan, your stress will go down. You're looking to de-stress because you're in distress. Have a plan on what you're going to be doing with your money and your stress level will go down. It will help you to reduce your spending your money and, and prioritize what you're spending your money on. If you don't have a plan, you know what's going to happen. You're going to see that new shiny thing and go, oh, yeah, I need that. Oh, I need that too. I need three of those because you don't have a plan. So, hey, you got money in your pocket at the end of the month even though you have a bunch of responsibilities and you go ahead and say, let's go ahead and get that shiny, fancy, glistening, brand new thing. Apple a few years ago, because of our American culture and our consumer uh, mentality, decided they weren't going to talk about the newest device. They were going to talk about the next device. And their marketing was the next iPhone, the next. Because they knew it would motivate you. Oh, I got to have the next thing. The ne- I, 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 I have to. I have to. They've even designed it in ways that after a couple of generations, you notice it doesn't work so well anymore. That's the reason why Apple is worth 1.7, ready for it, trillion dollars. Because we want the newest, shiniest things. That's what Proverbs 25 is talking about. But hasty shortcuts leads to poverty. It's warning us not to be impulsive buying. And if you don't have a plan, you're going to live on impulse. But when you have a plan, you're able to go, you know what? Let's look at the plan. Let's consult the plan. And how do you do that? I'm going to give it to you very, very easily. Just like we did with time two weeks ago. Take 30 days this month. Take out your journal. That's why I gave you this journal. Take out your journal and write on the top. Go ahead and date it and everything and say how I spend my money. And for the next 30 days, go ahead and keep track of everything you've spent and what your income is. That's how you start. Start to get a snapshot of what you're spending your money on. Because what you'll end up doing is at the end of the month going... How much money did I spend on eating at McDonald's? Man, no wonder they pop up a new McDonald's every single month somewhere. Just on, my, on me, they're doing that. You'll get a picture of where you're spending your money. It's important. Then after you've done that, go ahead and assign priorities. Because that's what we're talking about, priorities, right? And maybe you begin to say, well, this is the number one most important thing. I must pay my rent. Right? Number one. That's number one. Or number two. Or number... Whatever you're going to categorize. Begin to look at it and categorize it. Assign those priorities. If you want a tool, there's dozens of budget planning tools, dozens of ways that you can manage your finances. But here's one. I'm just going to give you one just to help you out for those those who are saying, well, I need a little bit of help. Here's a free resource for you. You can download it to any mobile device. It's called Every Dollar Budget. Now people are going, wow, Pastor Kelly, we're talking about finance. Yes, because it consumes everybody's every day. And I would be remiss as a pastor if I wasn't equipping you to handle some of those things that you deal with every day. So it's called Every Dollar Budget. It's at DaveRamsey.com. DaveRamsey.com. Dave Ramsey has a, a wealth of information on how to manage your treasures and your resources. And this is a free app that can help you begin to simply establish a personal budget. So once you've done that, number one, 
Number one. What was number one? Let's bring up the screen. Number one, keep good records. Say, keep good records. Number two, plan your spending. Number three, return 10% to God. This is biblical. This is what the Bible teaches us to do. Matter of fact, God is very specific about this in the Bible. That when we invite him in and we say, God, I'm putting you first, then he says, good, I'm going to bless what you have. I'm going to bless the rest. Look at what it says in Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. It says this, bring all the tithes. Everybody say the word tithe. Tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me in this. Actually, one translation says, test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be any room or be room enough to receive it. Verse 11, check this out. And I will rebuke the devourer. Have you ever come to the end of the month and went, man, there's more month than there is money, right? It's like you go, man, where did it go? Where did it go? It's been like, it's been like eaten up. It's been devoured. God says when you put him first in your finances, he will rebuke the devourer. You're inviting him on your side to help you with your finances. Let me finish. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. Of course, back then we were in, it was an agricultural society and their finances were tied to uh, cattle, livestock, and agriculture. So God was speaking in terms there to say, I'll take care of your stuff. I'll take care of your stuff. The word tithe literally means, and it's interesting that God said tithe and not tip. The word tithe literally means 10%. Not a gift, not a tip, but a 10% ongoing giving to the Lord. And I've been doing this. I learned this principle when I was a new believer, 17 years old. And I learned this principle. I read it in the Word, and I decided, I'm going to obey the Word of God. I'm going to do it. And I would take my money from Marie Callender's. I was working as a, as a busboy at Marie Callender's, and, and I loved it because I got cash. How many of you guys have ever worked in the service industry, the hotel or the restaurant industry? Wave at me. Didn't you love getting cash? It was so good at the end of the night, your pocket's full of money going, yes, that's right. And I only have to pay taxes on 10% of this. This is awesome. Or something like that. I can't remember what it was anymore, but it was like, this is great. And I literally had a box on my, my dresser and I would count out my, my tips for that night. If it was like a hundred bucks, I'd take $10 and I'd put it right there, right there in that box. And I'd say, God, first and foremost, there it is. It was so good for me to do that because it was teaching me the discipline of putting God first in my finances. And Jesus Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I'm saying, God, I want my heart to be in line with you. And so I put that $10 right in there, and boom, now I've got 90 bucks to work with. 90 bucks to work with. And God would just cover that $90. And we were able to do the things that we had dreamed and, and believed that we would do. I ended up marrying that beautiful woman that I was dating, and God always provided for us because we always sought him first. Why 10%? Why 10%? Well, God could have said 40. God could have said 50. I don't know why he said 10%. I, there's no answer. There's no reason in scriptures, except I know this about 10%. It's enough to spiritually challenge me and make me go, well, this is a sacrifice, Lord, and I offer it to you. And so I do this in faith, trusting you. I don't know that 10% is enough to say to God that I love you, but I'm trusting and obeying you, and I'm putting you first in my finances, and I'm putting you first in my life. Now, I want you to notice something about 11, uh, the end of 10, verse 11. This is the only scripture found in the Bible where God says, test me. Try me in this. God literally says to humanity, I will prove that I am faithful if you'll try this. Because he knows how much money means to us here on earth. See, God don't need your money. He doesn't need anybody's money. What he needs is a heart that's fully committed to him. And when we say, God, I'm going to put you first, then he knows, man, that heart is right there. 
And he says, test me in this. And here's what God promises. He says, you go ahead and put 10% for me. I'll bless the 90%. And I don't know about you, but I think the God of the universe is better at blessing my 90 than I am at trying to manage my 100%. I'm going to trust God and say, God, you manage, you help me manage this 90%, and I'm going to put 10% first. Why is this the only place that God says test me? Because he knows how much it means to us. Deuteronomy 14.23 says the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first. That's the purpose of it. That's really what the issue is here. He wants our heart. He wants our heart. I'm saying if I put God, and here's the thing. If I, I'm saying I put God first. You come here tonight and say, I'm giving Saturday night. I'm putting God first in my life. But you don't put him first in your finances, you're lying to yourself. You are. You are, oh, I'm going to put God first here, but not over here. Not, that's mine, God. That's my, I earned that. I earned that. I worked 50 hours this week. I busted my butt for that. That's mine. And God says, now, who gave you that butt? Who gives you the breath in your lungs, the strength that helps you to accomplish those things, the mind to be able to think those things? Who does that? Who gave you that? Who knit you together in your mother's womb? Who fearfully and wonderfully made you? Who gave you the ability to earn that living? Mm-hmm. Let's give credit where credit is due. I wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for God. So that's why I say I'm giving back to God 10%, because 100% of it is because of him. 100% of it is because of him. Now, some people would say, well, Kelly, that's Old Testament. That's, that's in the Old Testament. I live in the New Testament. I live in the Old Testament, and I heard actually A.J. recently say, that's true, that's true. Jesus is the one who said, give it all. Says to a rich man that comes to Jesus, what do I need to do to be saved? Jesus says, sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. Well, that 10% sounds pretty good, Pastor Kelly. Yeah, that sounds really good. That Old Testament stuff's really good. I like that Old Testament stuff. Listen, Jesus affirms the tithe because it's a, it's a God-ordained principle. Matter of fact, we see there in the Bible in Luke chapter 11, verse 42, take a look. Jesus is talking to some Pharisees who were more religious than they were loving. They, they, they valued their position more than they did people, and they made sure to keep the letter of the law. And Jesus wanted to point a few things out for him. He says this in verse 42. He says, what sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. Jesus says, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the important things. Jesus says, yes, tithe, but make sure that you love God and that you are showing mercy and justice. He ties those together. Jesus affirms tithing and then ties the demonstration of God's love and justice to it. Then in the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 7, it tells us that when we give tithes here on earth, because some of you go, well, I put it in the box in the back. Is that, does that have like a little chute that goes thunk, up to heaven to God? How does that work? No, it doesn't. The tithes are used to facilitate ministry here, but when you give it here, the Bible says in Hebrews 7, when you give it on earth, God receives it in, in heaven because it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. 2,000 years later, the promise of God's blessing hasn't changed. I've personally experienced this in my own life, as I mentioned to you. Leah and I have tithe. We tithe. We've been tithers, and we continue to be tithers. Tonight, we put our tithe right back there in the box. Our daughters tithe. My daughter, Rachel, from the very first time she earned a single dollar, tithed on it. And she already saw the blessing of the Lord. Many of you know that she attends USC, and she can share her testimony with you. Her college has been paid for by a miracle of God. Only the last year or so has she had to pay some uh, school expenses, but even then the expenses have been very small because she has faithfully, faithfully continued to believe God, and God has proven himself to be true in his word. So we assess and record, we plan our spending, 
and we return for 10% to God. Number four, and this is a 10-10-80 principle, and I'll talk to you about that in a second. Number four, read number four. What does it say? Save for the future. Your grandpa told you this, right? Gave you a little coin and said, now save this for your retirement. And you said, what? Retirement? Ah, that's a long time away. I'm going to spend it. And we do that, right? We do that when we're five. We do that when we're 10. We do that when we're 15. We do that when we're 20. We do that when we're 30. We do that when we're 40. We do that when we're 50. Suddenly we get to 60 and 70 and go, now where's that retirement that I was supposed to be taking care of here? It's true. This is a tough one. It's hard to save, isn't it? I mean, if we were to be honest, it's hard to save. That's one of the things that Lee and I, because we've been in ministry, we're always giving to people, and we look at our savings and go, ooh, it's kind of low. And it's, an, it's a discipline that we actually have to work on. We have no problem tithing, but saving can be a challenge. When you save for the future, it's a mark of maturity. And the Bible even tells us that ants save for the future. Ants! Ants, they barely have a brain. They follow other ants because of the ant in front of them. I, I've heard, and this sounds kind of gross, but I guess the ant in front of them pees, and so they follow the ant pee. That's why they make these lines. Call that smart. I call that dumb, but they make these lines. So these are ants. Ants plan for the future. Look what the Bible says in Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. It says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. <laughs> Isn't that great? I love the Bible when you read the Bible. The, trans, the original translation, or I should say, the more King Jamesy or New King James, is you, uh, you slothful person. But this, this New Living Translation is great. You lazy bones, learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer. They gather food for the winter. They labor all summer gathering food. They plan for the future. Now, I know you're wiser than an ant, but it can be hard. Reports from AARP, the Association of American Retired People. I don't know what that means yet, but I'm learning because I'm getting closer. Shows that many are not as wise as ants. 20 years ago, Americans saved a little over 10% of their income. Last year, we saved 2.3% of our income in the United States. It's concerning because when we get older, our energy levels lower, our productivity is, is less, we may not ha have what we need to meet those needs. And the easiest way to do this is the 10-10-80 principle. Everybody say 10-10-80. 10-10-80. And I'm going a little long tonight. Let me finish up. But the, and I'm going to get to number five and we'll wrap it up. But the 10-10-80, 10% to God, 10% to your savings, and enjoy the other 80%. Learn to live on 80%. If you learn to live on 80%, your stress level will go down. When surprises come up, they won't be such a big surprise. The easiest way to do this is the 10-10-80. Here's what I'm going to do, because this is a bigger topic. I'm making a commitment to you, Refinery Church, that this year we're going to have a financial planning seminar that will probably be three or four weeks to help you make plans for your future. And it's important to start young. And if you're older, maybe you can give us some wisdom, but it will be important to start young. But until then, let's take a look at number five, and we'll wrap this up for tonight. Number five, what does it say? Enjoy what you have. Isn't that positive? Enjoy what you have. Isn't that nice to have that positive word, enjoy, in there? You should enjoy what you have. Look what it says in Ecclesiastes 6.9. It says, enjoy what you have. Everybody say, enjoy what you have. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Yeah, there's a little hook in there, isn't there? I think the author of Ecclesiastes knew that some people in Orange County, Southern California, America, would read this someday. Because, and then it says, just dreaming about nice things is meaningless like chasing the wind. This is one of the biggest issues we face here in Orange County, Southern California, America. We want more stuff. We want the next. We like our things. It's the condition of our materialistic society that we live in. And there's constant barraging at us to get more. Because if you have more, you'll be happy. There's four words that should not be in your vocabulary. You ready for this? I'll be happy when. Those four words shouldn't be in your vocabulary. 
I'll be happy when. What do you got right now? Look for what you have right now. I'll be happy when my wife looks different. I'll be happy when my husband looks different. I'll be happy when I get a husband. Look at what you got right now and begin to give thanks for it. This is not God's, this, God's best for you is to be thankful for what you've got and allow him to bring the increase. That's why he tells us so often in scripture to be thankful because look what thankful does. Thankfulness breaks the lure of more. Thankfulness, though that's, that's tweetable. You should be writing this down. Thankfulness breaks the lure of more. It does. When we come to God, like it says in, in, in Scripture, it says, I'm not going to be anxious about anything, but with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving in my heart, I will let my request be made known to God. And then the, then the fireman comes again. Then the peace of God will, that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind. Then you'll know joy and happiness. I want to pause right now. Let's close our time and let's give thanks. Come on. What are, you, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? Come on, thank him. God, we say thank you. Thank you for the air in our lungs. Thank you for the strength in our body today. Thank you for bringing me here that I could be encouraged. Lord, we are so blessed. We live in a place of safety. Our doors don't have to be barred and gated right here because we, we have a place of safety. Thank you for that. Jesus' name. Thank you for your goodness. Thank, I, I'm going to thank him personally. I want you guys to thank, thank the Lord personally. I'm going to thank him. Lord, thank you for my beautiful wife. Thank you for my wonderful children that bring joy to my heart every day. Thank you, God, for putting air in my lungs that I'm able to speak and share these wonderful pr biblical principles with men and women who have ears and hearts to listen. Thank you, God. Come on, give him thanks right now. We're so thankful, Lord. We're so blessed. And now in the quietness of the moment and in this time, I'm going to ask you to consider your time, your talents, and your treasures. The three things that we pursue, the, things, the three things that are consuming our thoughts and our minds all the time. Will you put God first there? Commit to him tonight. God, I'm going to put you first in my time. I'm going to set aside time every day, every week to be with you. I commit to gathering together on Saturday nights as a body of believers to hear from you at Refinery. I commit to praying every day for a couple of minutes to engage with you with my time. Tonight, commit to God your talents, kind of the skills, the abilities that I have, Lord. I want to use them for your glory and your honor. And lastly, tonight, I commit, Lord God, my treasures to seek you first in my finances. I want to start by assessing and recording what I have coming up with a plan, returning 10% to you. Lord God, saving for the future and enjoying what I have. I commit that here tonight. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to close our time with this, this last little promise. I started by talking about a heart issue. Finances are a heart issue, but check this out. Like I said, God isn't, God's not after your money. He's after our hearts. And he gives us some promises. These two passages of Scripture are very, very important. Matter of fact, I would take a picture of them. Go ahead and bring them up on the screen. I'd take a picture of these. I would, I would memorize these. It's a reminder to each of us what God's desire is. Look what it says in Jeremiah 29, 11. God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah and says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with how much? All your heart. You'll find God. 
you'll find God. That's what Richard wanted in the hospital. And it took coming face to face with death for him to go, nothing else matters. I want God. And God met him. And he found God because he was searching for him with all of his heart. And number, and number two, 2 Chronicles 16, 19, I love this one. It says, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are, say it, fully committed to him. See, God's looking for your heart. And here's what he says. When I got your heart, you got my strength. You got my support. You got me in your camp. See, that's what it is with our time and our talents and our treasures. When we put God first, you know what we're doing? We're inviting God in there. We're inviting God's strength. We're inviting God's resources into it. It's not about some religious ritual. It's about saying, God, I need you in these areas of my life. Redeem my time. Glorify, be glorified in my talents. And Lord God, be blessed in my finances. God gives us time. He gives us talents and the treasures. He gives them to us to meet the responsibilities of our everyday life. But first, seek his kingdom and his righteousness and all that you have need for, you will be blessed with. It's a promise from his word. But first, in our time, our talents, and our treasures. That is a good word. And I hope you guys receive it and are blessed by it. I'm going to close our time. For more information about Refinery Church, like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at We Are Refinery. If these messages have blessed you, please consider supporting the ministry by visiting our website at wearerefinery.com give.